We could have done like a little huge face reveal, but I mean, that's the, whole, the whole face reveal. So they're not so yeah. cool, but whatever. Well, here we are. Um, you can see us for once, both in the same room. Episode seven, yeah, seven, seven, seven of TLGR. Two lefties get it right. Um, we've been doing this for two months, and we've officially have our first in-person live video with a, hopefully a decent mic. I mean, I don't know. I get the complaints about that all the time, yeah, but I know our friends. Regardless, um, I'm Cameron. And I'm Griffin. And uh, yeah, it's nice to see uh, each other in person and on break for a little bit of school. And what's better than on break than talk about politics? And especially in this week, it's been a very busy week. Yeah, it's been a busy week. And um, yeah, um, but we forgot to ask the last couple of weeks, but Bush, how you been? I, I'm good, Cam. We, we always start the show with that. But I we forgot to last we forgot it. You know, we yeah. had a... You know, we had guests. It was a little chaotic, you know, a little bit of a learning curve. Just but... to forget it. But we're back to just us two for this week. Um, back to the OT, the OT, OGs, same thing. But regardless, yeah, um, I guess we can hop right into the news. Um, like I said, it's a big news week. If you want me to start, you want to go first? I go first. We'll start with the big one. Okay, yeah. So you probably heard, um, if you at all listen to any form of mainstream news, I can turn the sound to a little bit of the game. It's a little high. All right. But if you've heard any mainstream news, we've been talking, hearing the word bank a lot and Silicon Valley Bank specifics, and Griffin's got that covered. Yeah. So essentially what happened is a bank failure. So I we're briefly, ah, that's crazy. I know, Cam. It's it's just <laughs> random, obviously. Uh, um, but, you know, you don't know how a bank works. They People put money in and the banks don't keep that money on hand. They'll loan your money out to another people with interest rates or invest into the stock market. And so they never have all of your money on hand at any given time. So what happens then if everybody wants to withdraw their money, there isn't enough. And that happened. Uh, Silicon Valley Bank did a lot of work with startups. So it's a lot of money from tech startups in there. And, they, you know, they started to have a hard time and people panicked and they all withdrew. It's called bank run where they all come in and withdraw their money. And they went under. They didn't have enough money for everybody. From, from what I heard, it's the second largest bank too. Second largest bank failure in United States history. And the first being 08? Yes. Yeah. yeah, okay. All right. Or, would it be 29? No, I think it was 08. That, that makes sense. Um, yeah, so um, the thing with that, obviously, um, so a couple of years ago, we experienced a mild case of that, mostly stock market-wise. Banks were de- decently fine during COVID, but it was mostly the stock market aspect of it. And this is definitely emblematic of like the overall structure of chasing nothing but profit motive constantly who knew infinite growth was not possible that's like, crazy it's just like everyone's always like Thanos should have double resources but whatever infinite growth is just not sustainable and that's the price you pay for chasing profit under like the system that we're currently in under in capitalism and basically with that you just you create the boom and bust cycle 10 years you'll have 10 years or so it's because it's crazy. Every 10 years, there's always something that goes on. It's, it's crazy how that works. You think, you think everyone's always like, oh. This, those damn socialists. Oh, yeah, clearly they're the ones profiting off all of this. And it's like, oh, they've tried it dozens of hundreds of times. It never works. Well, if you have a crisis every 10 years and it's literally basically predictable, like the forecast, maybe you should change something like that. But regardless, every every 10 or so years, um, yeah, confidence goes, confidence goes up or confidence goes down. Um, CEOs take more and more, their working class gets less and less and everything like that. And they squeeze it just a little too hard or they squeeze and squeeze and squeeze until it gets to the point where they say, okay, I'm not going to have enough. Confidence goes down, bank plummets, they get bailed out. Taxpayer pays all of their effort, pays yeah. all of it right so now. So this is an, an interesting part. We'll see if it holds true. 
because uh, over this weekend, then another bank in New York failed for the same reason. Just another one that was big in startups. Uh, they panicked, ran the bank, and they uh, they failed as well. And so from this was as of early this morning, they're uh, predicting that President Biden will speak today. We'll you know we'll see what happens. That he's going to uh, announce that they have the FDIC you know, insures banks of $250,000. And obviously these startups have a lot more than that in there. So it's, you know, that $250,000 is a fraction of the money that they have in these banks. So it, they're expected that President Biden's going to speak today and announce that they, there's basically this, it's like a fund that the banks have to pay into. I saw that. Yeah, it was like the Almost, FDIC. Yeah, or like the whatever. FDIC, like banks have to pay into this. So all the money, they're going to fully cover and ensure all of the money lost by the startups, by the companies that had, or the people that had stuff in the bank is all going to, none of it's going to be taxpayer. It's all going to come out of this FDIC fund. But what they're not going to do is bail out the banks. They said the banks are not like, we're going to insure your people, but allegedly they're not going to bail out the banks. We'll see if that happens. I, if I, if I was a betting boy, which as everyone knows, I am, they're going to bail out the banks 1,000%. Because they did the exact same thing not even 10 years ago. They're going to really, really piss people off if they say no taxpayer money is going to pay for this and then taxpayer money pays for it. Well, so we both – well, he follows it. I had a buddy send it to me because I'm not on that demon Chinese TikTok app. You yeah, know? You're right. Like, I don't want my info being slave. stolen. But um, so there was an emergency Zoom meeting called through Congress, um, and the most viral video I think that's been going on, I saw it was like a couple million likes or whatever. It's Dean Jackson. Yeah, it's a representative out of North Carolina, and he was talking about basically like, whatever you do, stay calm, and we will not have to pay for this one bit. Well, yeah, which is give that a year, and we'll see how that. Well, it's a very good sentiment though, and, and this is you know, you have money in the bank, don't worry, because I'm sure if you're listening to this, you'd have less than two hundred fifty thousand dollars, so you're insured. If um, somehow we're reaching someone over 250, I think you'll still be okay. I think you'll still be okay. Uh, don't withdraw your money. No. It, it, if you keep your money in the bank, the bank will be fine. This is an isolated incident for a startup. It's it's it shouldn't be anything more than that. It's a nothing burger. Yeah. It's as simple as that. So don't worry. Your money's fine. I'm, I, uh, I'm going to add to the panic just by saying. Yeah, take all your money out. Take all your money out now. <laughs> Blame us too. But yeah, it's it's nothing. But what will happen if. Because everyone always says, oh, like there was 2008, that was the COVID crash. No, no, that was just a little teaser of what's coming. Yeah, back. there's like, going to be a big crash. We're due one for the next, I'd say, one to two years, by, like when the recession order started getting thrown out. Recession's already, we're already in a recession. Technically, yeah. yeah. And because of communist Joe Biden. Maybe. It's clearly communist Joe. <laughs> I saw there was a whole Joe. I saw there was this whole thing about like uh, deregulation. Like, like I think Trump deregulated that bank specifically or something like that. Yeah, I, I, I haven't direct- done a lot of it. I, mean, I saw uh, Dean Jackson mentioned his TikTok alluded to like there's going to be the talks in congress for the next while about bank regulation and how much risks they're allowed to take um now with our split congress nothing will happen of it like they're taking any risks either they're on some offshore account like they're not gonna lose a goddamn yeah they don't give a fuck no no Uh, if a politician says they care about you they're lying they are lying Uh, except for bernie except for bernie 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 sanders is the goat bernie loves this um which i mean if they want to use that as a transition we could um, I just brought up this fun factoid. According to YouGov, which is a pretty standard, pretty I mean, solid. That's, that's a pretty solid polling place. According to YouGov, Bernie is the fifth most popular uh, politician out there. He's behind uh, Jimmy Carter's number one, then Obama, then Arnold Schwarzenegger, the former governor of uh, California, for anyone that didn't know. 
And then who was number four? I just, oh, it was Harris, Kamala Harris, which really does Which is me. crazy that Kamala Harris is number four. Now, granted, she's only 1% higher. They're both in, like, the high 40s, but, like, that is crazy. That is crazy. I've never had a single Kamala Harris supporter. I've, I don't think I have. Uh, the only – yeah, I've never met a Kamala Harris supporter. I've never met somebody who – now, granted, even, this is a microcosm. We're Garber County and myself, Grant Forbes. That's, that's true. But, like, even a Dame, like, people – People, the people that will like ride or die for Joe Biden will still be like, I'm not a huge fan of his. Of Harris, I haven't heard anything about her. She's not, like, okay, when is the, besides besides our Lord and Savior Dick Cheney? When does the Vice President ever do anything anyway? No, exactly. Like, like Mike, Mike Pence was in charge of the coronavirus task force. He just handed it off to every doctor he could, called it a day. Which is, I mean, in all things considered, not a bad idea. The doctor should handle it. Well, yeah, I'm not friend. saying yeah. I'm not saying the Vice President should, but I'm saying like they don't actually do anything. They don't. Mike Pence is a scumbag, by the way. He wants to shock the gays. That's true. Do you, do you think he's actually going to run? There's no fucking way he runs. They hate, everybody hates him. He's teasing. He's teasing. The MAGAs hate him. Really hate him. He could win Indiana. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> like Obama did back in 2008. Yeah. Or 2012. I, 2012. He, the MAGAs really hate him. And if Meatball Ron runs, he'll take anything that would vote for. Well, Meatball, I, Ron DeSan- Meatball Ron to Sanctimonious. Well, I did see something about DeSantis and Trump. Um, so DeSantis was in Iowa. Uh, on Friday, um, he was doing like a, like a preliminary, like feel the waters of campaign. He still hasn't announced. I don't. I'm personally leaning toward he's not going to. Run. I think he should wait till the next. Uh, he no. walks away with it in 28 if he does. Oh, wait. absolutely. Like it's on like a, yeah, it's, yeah, no incumbent. Yeah. yeah, easily. Yeah, because even if Trump or Biden wins, like those are he's not with these incumbents. Uh, meatballs in what his fifties? Yeah, he's young. Well, at least he looks younger for how old he is. <laughs> so you know who he wears those. Big ass like lifted cowboy boots. He's, he's 44. 44. Yeah, he, so he's pretty young. See, yeah, there's no way Ron DeSantis is six foot Ron. Ron DeSantis is five foot nine and he wears high heeled cowboy boots with fucking lifts in them. I swear to God. Florida? That's weird. I mean, I, oh, never mind. I just I just did a complete oxymoron. Um, what was it? Oh, so. Carrie so Lake declares war on Ron DeSantis. That makes sense. I think between her and Green, I think it'll be Green ends up being Trump's VP pick, but it's hers or second place you can't for pick sure. Taylor Green. You can. And Carrie Lake? She just she just proved she can't win in Arizona. Yeah, but MTG. I you If you pick MTG as your run, like, that, it's not going to matter in the uh, like general election once Trump has the nomination. Yeah. But if you pick. You can pick Adolf Hitler if, for all But if you pick MTG same. and just. Meatball, Meatball Ron picks a good uh, a good vice. That might be the edge. No, absolutely. That could no be. One, no one cares no, about a running mate. Couldn't they do if it's MTG? Will they? They're gonna Although, vote for Donnie. That's all no, they care. Because the MAGA, because the people who are like kind of MAGA but not super MAGA, but they're like, oh, I kind of like Trump and blah blah blah. But they're like, oh fuck, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Like, oh, Ron De Sanctimonious. Mm. Oh, <laughs> my mom is the biggest fan of Lauren Bober in the world. You know she's gonna be a grandma? No, my mom hates her. Okay, okay. I was like, what? excuse sarcasm. It's not that hard, people. It's not that hard. You said that so seriously. No, but she's gonna be a grandmother, a thirty-six-year-old grandmother. Her son is seventeen. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. And, and and the thing is too, when asked how old her son's girlfriend was, her only response: she's over fourteen. <laughs> what? Are you act like what? Oh my god, point. she's fourteen. <laughs> she is fourteen. She's probably like fourteen in three days or something like. Oh that. my god, that's <laughs> awesome. But yeah, um, when the Republicans tell you that they want to protect your children, this is what they mean. <laughs> they just want to be grandmas faster. Gilf though. 100%. Gilf though. Yeah, hundred percent of Gilf. A hundred percent. Yeah, I was praying for Warren Warburg to not get reelected so we could get that OnlyFans. <laughs> she allegedly was an escort before. I mean, like that was always like, like I was never an escort for Ted Cruz. That's what she always said. Like that's a little too specific, girl. But 
But regardless, that's how she got into politics. Yeah, confirmed. Ron DeSantis is going to be was in Iowa on Friday doing some preliminary campaigning, and then Trump is going to be there for the day doing the exact same town, exact same Why rally. Iowa. Well, I mean, Iowa is the first. Well, was the first. Uh, this is the first. Is who is it now? North Carolina. Remember the Dems like passed yeah. that. Or they got like that through right before the end of Congress because all the things they needed to do that was the most pressing was to get North Carolina to be the first. I hope that North Carolina like kind of goes blue now, considering they was it North Carolina or South Carolina was the first to secede. South was first. Okay. Right. North Carolina is a little based then, even though they did secede. Traitor, yep. traitor bastards. North Carolina, um, uh, yeah, they're Ted Budd. I remember he's the new he's the senator out of there. He just got elected in twenty twenty. That guy is weird. That guy yeah, is weird. He's dude. strange. Yeah, obviously, I mean, there's a lot of weirder Ted's in, in, in the Senate, but I mean. Ted Bud's a weird dude from what I've seen. I hate Ted Cruz. I despise Ted Cruz. He's got a good beard, though. He's got no, good... it's hideous. He's got like a half point. It's hideous. He... Okay, but have you seen him before and after the beard? Like, he, he is an he... ugly motherfucker. He... Without a beard, it's like really, really bad. We're actually kind of coming up on like an anniversary of the Cancun. like when Because he... it was right after oh, yeah. inauguration, like middle of February, early mm-hmm. March of 2021. Um, so that was fun. Um is there anything else news-wise that I have on here? I don't know if that's going to be... Oh, yes. A, a semi-big story. I was earlier in the week. Um, Michael Cohen, uh, Donald Trump's per, uh, former personal attorney, was set to testify in front of a grand jury in the state of New York on... I think it was today. might have been next Monday. I don't know. It was last week, so I just saw this. I think it might be today. For the hush buddy case that they he paid Stormy Daniels, the porn star, to have sex with him and then cover it up after the fact. But I guess I didn't realize, like... Is yeah. that a crime? Okay, so the reason why it's a crime is because he didn't pay. He didn't. So Michael Cohen paid her paid her out of his personal account because didn't that way Trump couldn't be like directly tied to it. But as soon as Trump got sworn into office, like president wise, then he used that money to reimburse um, Michael Cohen. You have so much money. Why so are you doing that? So technically, taxpayer money paid for porn star sex. You know, what? Means, I'm good to see my tax dollars are going to good use. That means every taxpayer is, has solicited a prostitute through the use of. Of, of Donnie. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Don. Yeah, thanks, Don. I still have to get my vote. So, with that, um, it's said that uh, that indictment is likely um, with Trump with that. We'll see how that goes. Um, he won't change anything. He won't go to jail. He won't see any repercussions. The, the difference is, so the indictment will probably come, but getting him actually into court, getting him actual, like, like convicted with that, almost never going to no happen. Chance. And even, even if he gets indicted, he gets arrested, whatever like that, he gets put to court. Excuse me. And the maximum he can get is four years. Now, granted, that's kind of a long time, but prison stays for that crime are not necessary. He would probably just take like a, house arrest a, or something, house or arrest or bail or whatever it is, or just community service for like ten hours or something. He won't get convicted. I don't. I would. I can see him maybe getting indicted. There's no chance he gets convicted. I would say the strongest case for his for for an actual criminal um, prosecution against him specifically is probably the election overturning in Georgia, because they said that would that might also come indictment wise. Yeah. Again, will anything happen of it? No. Absolutely not. When you become president, you become immune. You have you have to get out of jail for the rest of time. The second you have over five hundred million dollars, you're immune. And the second that you hold public office, you're immune. Mm. Speaking of five hundred million dollars, too, do you see the thing what Elon's doing with uh, the employees of Twitter? No, I saw him make fun of the disabled one. Oh, so there was that too. Yeah, he definitely uh, he uh, made fun. He publicly mocked a. Uh, Former employee of, of a Twitter, super based former employee too. Mm-hmm. He was a he had a company that got bought out by Twitter, like a startup kind of thing, and he has a severe muscle uh, muscle dystrophy. I yeah. think was what he has. And yeah, he just like he actually said, "I hate this man." He had to delete he deleted that tweet, but someone had like billions of screenshots of it, and then like he apologized publicly for it. But that's actually not what I was talking about. Is 
he is buying this like land in Texas and he's going to build like, he's going to do a company town. He's, he's going to do a company town. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> I it's, saw that. It's literally like dystopian, like sci-fi. Like that's in a movie. Oh, we're past company towns. Come on guys. We're going the wrong way. Did Bezos ever have one for Amazon? You know, they talked about it. They made memes about it, but they, no company towns haven't really been a thing since like early industrial revolution, like early 1900s. So like, do you live there like full year round too? Yeah, you live. It's like, it's literally like a, like you live there and then you work and then like part of your pay is your housing. That's nuts. That's actually crazy. Like, especially if you have like a family. Like, yeah. You just have to be, sorry, dad, we can't, or sorry, son, we can't move. I have to be closer to my industrial overlord. Sorry, no, I can't quit because then we'll be homeless. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, it's in your contract probably. Yeah. If you, or like definitely like a, a non-compete. Like if, even if you get a higher offer somewhere, no, I will strip that housing from you tomorrow. No even time to move out. <laughs> yep. Instant eviction. That would be the greatest landlord, but always. Elon Musk is your landlord. As we always wow. say, tip your landlord. Yeah, if you're, you better be tipping Elon Musk if you're living in that. Uh... One, one of our good buddies told us the story last night, but apparently he doesn't listen to this. So, I mean, it's never going to hear that we're talking about it anyway. Yeah. He, was, he had a fun landlord story. I wish he was on, he could tell it. But regardless, <laughs> he's just dealing with a whole bunch of property stuff. And the whole time is because he didn't tip his landlord. So Clearly. If, you're, if you spent money today, you're a fool. That could have gone to your property manager. Just think of how hard he works for you. Think of how hard it is for him to collect your rent. <laughs> he has to wake up once a month. He has to go over there, take the envelopes, and go to a bank that's not going to foreclose, that's not going to shut down, and then put it in the thing and say, oh, that's such a long day. I had to work for one hour this year, this week. And if there's an obvious, and then if there's like something, a problem with the apartment, I'll get to it. I'll call a guy. He'll let his building manager do that he stop, pays to do it for yeah, him. Stop asking me to do it. God, I have better things to do. I'm so busy. I'm looking for another place I can rent. Well, you know, you're not really incorporating the stress it takes to raise the rent on single mothers with four kids. Well, it's just so dr- like, yeah. Danny DeVito, like, I get it, meme, right? That bit, bit life. Um, I don't know if you, you yeah, know, they have a landlord update. They just updated it with landlords. We should play I, that. I, I was, I was being I the, the ultimate slum, slum lord. Like, <laughs> Let's thing. go. I was, a, I was a football player and I had obviously had like hundreds of millions of dollars like that. I was just like buying, Bought, buying property. I was buying property That's so and, funny. and I made my rent like the minimum for like a really shitty apartment, like a hundred grand a month. And someone would actually pay it. I'm like, okay, let's do it. And then I would raise it every month. Like, come on, you owe me more. I saw one. It was one. It was like uh, tenants is single mother with four kids. I evicted her immediately for no reason. <laughs> it's just, it's just, yeah. I love it. It's kind of like how like Monopoly was like invented as like a satire of capitalism, but yeah. everyone that plays like straight's like, oh, look at all my money. It's like BitLife's a satire of like the American like failure right it now. Is. Uh, so fun. Is that all, all we're going to cover for news today? Is it? I mean, yeah, we could have. It was kind of a lot, but I mean, it was kind of a lot this week, but it's also not a lot. Like, it's only just big yeah, stories. Some... Yeah. But um, if that is the case, um, um, we can hop into the meat. Yeah, we, yeah, we can hop into the meat. You're going to be seen anyway with his camera on. Awesome. Shout out to the Informal Approach. That would be my brother's podcast. There you go. But regardless, we're going to talk into the meat today. It's more from, so last couple weeks had more serious guests on and more talking about that. So to balance out that, we're going to have a fun episode besides obviously the 20 minutes of news coverage we just did. We are going to discuss our favorite show of all time, at least my favorite show of all time. It's up there. Yeah, I, I would say it's better than Breaking Better, Better Call Saul. In my opinion, I don't know. It's close. It's, they're different. They're different. Yeah, it's true. But we're going to talk about, I mentioned, I think, episode like two or three, Avatar The Last Airbender, created in the early 2000s by Nickelodeon. Yeah, put it over here. Just go over there. Interrupt your own podcast for it. Whatever. It, it, we can already hear you. It doesn't matter. 
whatever. But regardless, um, we are going to talk about Avatar today, and we're going to talk about well, we're, gonna, we're just going to talk about politics. That's what this whole thing is about. Really we're going to talk about the politics of Avatar because we're we like to take something that's fun and we like to make it worse. So. Yeah, we like we're disgusting in that way. So <laughs> it's a cool kid show you have. Politics. Now, now let's talk about <laughs> politics. Um, so it was created by Nickelodeon Studios in early 2000. I think it premiered in 2005. I know it ran until 2008. So I think that'd be Something about right. Yeah. And for anyone not somehow not familiar with the premise, it's basically the story of um, like this alternate universe, like uh, Asian culture, kind of like that. It's in, it's it's based in, like in like kind of feudal China, Japan, like that kind of area. And it's about this reincarnation cycle. This kid get, or in this case, this kid gets the power of the four nations, four distinct like cultures, and they each are able to bend like one of the four elements, being. Oh, no, absolutely hotty. But air, fire, earth, and water. And the one that can master all four of them is the Avatar. They get reincarnated in the cycle. And this show shows that um, what happens during a hundred-year war. And the creators are actually very political. The, the so. Fire Nation is America. Yeah. It's, it's the imperial power. <laughs> I mean, they are the West. And, yeah. yeah. They're in the West. They're heavily industrialized. And they just one day decide, hippity-hoppity, your land is my property. <laughs> And they begin to invade. Mm-hmm. And Aang, the Avatar, goes uh, gets stuck in ice for 100 years. And this, the whole time, the war is raging. It's basically between the Earth Kingdom and the Fire Nation. Uh, every cult, like Water tribes have both been wiped out. Air nomads have literally been genocided. Yeah, they, they got genocided. They literally got genocided. But um, water, water tribes are pretty much extinct. And that's between these two superpowers of the, the Fire Nation imposing imperialism onto the rest of the uh, world. And then the Earth Kingdom fighting back at them. But... Um, yeah, so we're going to talk about that today. It's going to be fun. Um, so I guess let's, let's start talking about uh, the policies of each nation, I guess, kind of like the, the philosophy and culture. Kind of structure. I guess we start with the big one with the Fire Nation. It's, it's, a, it's a monarchy. It's a feudal monarchy. They all technically are, I think. Well, okay, except, for the, except for the except water. The air, and the air nomads don't really water, have Water and air, yeah. So the air nomads, obviously. They're straight up communists. Yeah, they're, they're just like monks. They're just living like communally. They are, yeah. they are communists. There's no government structure. Water tribe is chiefdoms and not yes. so much kingdoms, but um, both the Earth Kingdom and the Fire Nation are both monarchies. Yeah, and you see, like with the Fire Nation, is a lot more feudal in the extent that there's these higher up generals and lords that are kind of advising. Where it's almost like the Earth Nation's almost divided into like, um, or the Earth Kingdom is like city states. Mm. Like Omashu has its own king, and Basingse has its own king, and then there's the Earth Kingdom. The Earth King who kind of runs everything over everything, but it's almost it's almost like reminiscent of like ancient Greece. That's like city states. Kind of, yeah, yeah. Because I because the earth if, if you're not familiar with the geography of it too, like the Earth Kingdom is massive. Like it's Huge. the biggest. It's the biggest land by far. It's like basically what, what would be Asia compared to the rest of the world. Yeah, like it's nuts. And yeah, so I would say like almost like um, Khanites. I don't know if you're familiar with like when the Mongols invaded Russia and oh, kind of yeah. like set up like Khan states, basically like that. So you have like two feudal, two feudal and two like monarchy structures going together for war and it basically starts because the fire nation decides we've industrialized so fast the rest of the world needs to experience like how great we're doing right now but even if they don't want to it's going to happen yeah and so yeah and like we guys we can kind of divulge to that is the fire it's the fire the fire nation is such it's now we're for imperial powers but mm-hmm. i mean you could draw so many parallels to like American imperialism and their idea of like Fire Nation exceptionalism and Japanese too. The yeah, the, Jap- and the Japanese. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Imperial Japan. Mm-hmm. Imperial Japan with um, like Nanking during World War II and stuff. That's definitely a part of it. Um, and the, the creative Ryan Kamenso is definitely not making that like hidden at all. It's definitely a very political show, just maybe not surface level. 
I mean, it's during a hundred year war. How can you not yeah. be political? Um, but yeah, you talk about like, just like at one point, the characters, the last place they go is the fire nation. Uh, and just like, you could see the, um, the propaganda at place. Like they all love the fire Lord. They think he's this super powerful. And the one point there's this play that depicts the protagonist, which is Aang, the avatar and his friends as just these silly little kids, like prancing around, like that portrays them as the bad guys. Like, savages, yeah, it's, you it's, can very much yeah. see the propaganda at work. Mm. For being a kid show, it's very evolved. It's very like very like adult because of that. Like yeah, it does show the effects of propaganda on the youth, including like there's one episode that's like, um why am I blanking on the name of the movie? The dancing movie. Footloose. Footloose. Oh yeah, the the dancing episode. <laughs> there is a footloose episode, but during this it actually shows like how they're indoctrinated at such a young age and like said like because it's like what year did the Fire Nation like invade like, or like battle the Air, Na- Air Nation armies? And it's like revisionist history because the Air no- they were nomads. They didn't yeah, have any form of military. Them. And Aang knows this because he was there. And yeah. But, and then, yeah, it goes on further with the propaganda within the nation of saying, whatever we do, it's for your best interest no matter what. And a lot of them don't even like, like, no, there's just average c- citizen violation like anywhere else. But, no. And there's like kind of this like running theme of like, you don't see the Fire Lord who's the leader of the Fire Nation, you don't see him until the third season of the show. He's kind of just this looming background where it's like, Fire Nation, Fire Nation. There's always like the, there's this figure that is leading all of it, but it's like kind of like hidden behind like the, oh, it's the nation. Mm. And portrayed expertly by Mark Hamill too, by Luke Skywalker. Very cool. Very. Cool. I, uh, I was talking to Kyle. He actually didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. And uh, there was another thing I made the note of, just talking about in general. We can also talk about, like, the fact, like, it's just the... So we talked about the Fire Nation being, like, imperialism, too. Communism being the Air Nomads. I would say probably your bet, because they're all different cultures, too. Like, the Northern and Southern Water Tribes are both, like, Inuit and, like, that descent yeah, of people. Very clearly. Mm-hmm. So there's, like, the the uh, element of separation there, too. Because you either can have, like, a globalist, like, view where, the like, the Fire Nation is imposing their view globally. Or you have very isolationist where the, like... Because at one, it's like Kyoshi said of the war so far, uh, don't like bring it to us. And same with the Northern Water Tribe, they've been yeah. there for 100 years. Even the Earth Kingdom, like, is really just defending their own homeland, they're not seeking out the fight. Because mm-hmm. by the time the show starts 100 years later, the Earth Kingdom is the only thing standing left against yeah. the Fire Nation, so they literally are just at, the, at each other's doorsteps. There's um, a great so we talk about like even like war tactics and like how that alludes to it, too. Well, you guys, like, you know, the the Water tribes, Southern Water Tribe in particular, are very clearly portrayed as like natives. You know, just the way they dress, they're living, you know, it's just, they're very clearly like Alaska natives, Northern Canada, Inuit natives. And the way that, you know, the Fire Nation kind of comes in with their, they see this black smoke and ash on the horizon, like, what is that? And the ship comes and it's something they've never seen before mm-hmm. with that kind of industrialization. And not only do they come in and slaughter them, basically, but I mean, they steal people, they kidnap people mm-hmm. and bring them back and Prisoner, the prisons prison, and the prison. there's definitely prisoners of war there's yeah. war crimes committed like regularly one of the best episodes um commercial i personally don't think it's the, like the best episode but zuko alone everyone always praises that yeah, episode. It's, a good episode. it's a western episode they talk about how like the earth how like the fire nation like kidnapped earth team of soldiers and like dressed them in their own like uniforms and sent them out that's a war crime yeah i'm sorry yeah, that is a war crime <laughs> and if you counted like the amount of war crimes committed in that show it would be absolutely crazy for a kid's show like, even, like, shows, like, I'm trying to think of, like, a good war one, but even, like... Clone Wars. 
the amount of war crimes committed Star Wars The Clone Wars is not real. Cameron refuses to watch it because he's a loser. I've seen videos on YouTube where it's like 11 minutes and 12 seconds. Like, like Anakin like, committing war crimes. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> I, I surrender. <laughs> Done. Yep. There goes the fan. Um, what else is there? Like, like the war in general is just so interesting to like unpack. It's just talking about um, just the different cultural like approaches to that. Yeah. If anything, I would say like I, I think you made a good point with like the um, lost tribes argument. Like it's like coming into contact with something they don't know or are definitely not prepared for, but using their own strategic advantage for that. It's kind of like yeah. I hate being like the guy that's like. Oh, the Revolutionary War was like the best time in American history. But I mean, it's kind of like an example of that, like where there was clearly an outnumbering, clearly not matching, but they were still able to hold their own kind of thing. Yeah. Win. Uh, that's like it's kind of like an interesting because the Southern and Northern water tribes are so disconnected too. It is mm-hmm. almost draws more on like the na- the idea of like these separate Native nations that were like loosely connected. They were just kind of considered water tribe. But like then, like you try to like because the northern water tribes, northern water tribe are very different in many ways and not really in contact. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of this idea of oh, it's the Indians. Well, it's like well, you got to dive in deeper if that is like it's not just Native Americans. It's you know the Iroquois and the Sioux and the whatever. I think I think there's like a misconception, especially going through like the American public like public education systems too. Like when you say like the words like Native American and like that, you kind of think of them like, all as like one group. There are like very, thousands, very different. thousands they, of different tribes. Some of them get along and some of them hate each other. Mm-hmm. Like even North Dakota is like they're the two yeah, there's, factions. There's two, there's a, there's a Northern and a Southern Sioux tribe in North Dakota. They hate each other. Yeah, just their cultural differences yeah. and stuff like that. Uh, the, and they, I mean, they're the same. They're both Sioux tribe, but they just do not get along. And that's not portrayed at all education wise. That's literally just left on a cutting room floor. I think that is a pretty good, is, is expertly tackled by that. Um, if anyone here is somehow not seen the show, but only seen the movie, first of all, I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry for that. Um, it was directed in, it was God only knows, 2010, it 2011. It's by M. Night he, like He was given like all this money to do whatever he wanted. His, do- his daughter was a huge fan of the show. He was able to do whatever he wanted. He's just like, I'm going to make this so bad. Some of those choices had to be on purpose. Like They don't pronounce anything right in that like it's clearly like first of all yes it's like an uh, age interpretation show kind of like that but it was first of all it's a western cartoon like they know how to pronounce it like pronounce it like most of the people are portrayed by like white people or like ang is a white is, is a white kid and just talk, like, like that but like you can't pronounce ang it's ong or general ero and do they really and, i haven't seen it oh it's not good no it's, it's terrible how, yeah but you're just like saying the names wrong it's like, Iroh. So they how, say it in the show. They get, they get Zuko, like the Zuko, right? That's pretty much it. But they got Katara wrong. It's like Katura, uh, it's Soka, uh, Soka. No, yeah, it's it's not great. It's the Avatar. They don't even say the Avatar. It's the Avatar on. Like, come on, man. Yes, you're doing your A's wrong. Come on, guys. It's lit. I remember his YouTube. It's like this is just him passively aggressive saying, "I hate when people call me M Night Shyamalan." <laughs> He's just, he's just getting revenge on someone <laughs> such as love property. He just won't like let it go. I've got, you know what? I'm kind of thinking again on the tribal aspect. We see the um, the swamp benders and the, the sand benders, and they're never like these groups that really get touched on again. Because and they don't really know who they are when they see them. It's this uncontacted the, tribes. The swamp bender, 100. percent They're like, oh, you're a water bender. We've never, we've yeah, never, they, we've they, never they, seen someone like, in this, like that. This swamp bender he uses the water in the plants to like basically turn himself into like this plant 
monster yeah, thing. I don't know what yeah. you want to call it. A, a flesh mech. <laughs> and, uh, and they're like, oh, what yeah, is this? What, what is this monster? And it's just a dude. Yeah, he's like, I've never met anyone that can waterbend besides here. And yeah, it's crazy. We can also, I guess maybe we've never even thought about this. So Avatar is not itself contained. There is a sequel series. I personally like Korra more than most people do. I wasn't, Korra's fine. They changed too much of the lore. Mm. Korra is the second, is, is after Aang. So every every time an Avatar dies, they get reincarnation to the next nation. So Aang was an airbender. So Korra is a water tribe yep. girl. And they just go on from there. And Korra takes place 60 years after the end of the show. So 60 years post world or post 100 year war. Um, there is a multinational, like basically it's the City. UN. Yeah. Basically the UN like uh, comes, comes through because of Aang and then Fire Lord Zuko to create this like collective of nation states that work together. And you can see like, the advancements of globalization too there because like they industrialize faster. They go from 60 years where they're like, like horseback or yeah, whatever. To like industrial revolution. To cars 1930s. electricity, That's, everything. Yeah. yeah. So you can like, it's just, you can see the difference between like isolationist approach and globalist approach right there. And they are uh, Nickelodeon or Paramount. I think they bought them out, but they've started creating a new studio called, just called Avatar Studios going on to the next one and just different projects, including a 2025 movie with adult and adult team avatar. It's the week before the week after Batman part two. It'd be a couple of good weeks in October of 2025 for good. sure. Pretty good. Yeah, I I think they do a good job. You know, a lot of times you see like shows that can get a little political and they're very one dimensional of this bad, this good. But Avatar, especially on the globalization aspect, is very like multifaceted. Of like, you see the Fire Nation kind of like being this global power, and you're like, you kind of see like the downside of that. But then in Korra, you kind of see the upside of, you know, the increased industrialization and shared knowledge and togetherness. Mm-hmm. But there's also class divide in Korra. There's a huge class divide the in Korra. The whole season one is a class, uh, classism argument with a, of course, for more in America, there's a communist enemy. But because um, yeah. I'm on trying to make everyone equal, because that's obviously what communism is. And basically, it's like this divide between vendors being seen as the, like the high class because like they have access to like guaranteed jobs in like yeah. the, the the electrical plants like and vendors, vendors, not just vendors, but the avatar being the representation of all vendors. She's kind of what has always been like this hero figure to everybody is now seen as like the class enemy. There's one. There's one scene in the first season where these non-vendors are like because uh, the threat of the first season is non-vendors and the vending police like. The police force is entirely metal vendors. Yep. They round up this like whole neighborhood of non-vendors. They turn off their power. They round them up into like these groups like that and say, "You're like abating, like uh, like aiding the enemy." Like that's like Nazi Germany, like yeah. al- like allegory right there. It's like she like this one woman kind of. You're our avatar too. Like you have to be like through the classes. Yeah, and it's like Cora's, and at this point, Cora's like she's done her training. She's mastered the elements more or less, but she's very new on the avatar. Goes from being this warrior hero to this almost like a political figure mm. like uh, on the level of like the Dalai Lama mm. like this feed the Pope you know this figurehead where they don't really hold any power but they have some real say well we actually like we actually I know we watched this last night too that's why that's why it's fresh in my mind they actually allude to the Dalai Lama in Avatar like how how they get how they figure out who the next in cycle is usually is like yeah. they will say like all these toys out for you and you have to like pick four of them and if you pick the four that, like, yeah, last one did, like, that's, like, your sign of being reincarnated. And that's how they figure out the Dalai Lama, too. Yeah. So Aang was, like, that representation of it, too. But 
you make a good point too. A couple of avatars before and even before Roku and everything like that. There's this I can't remember the name of it for life. And it was the one right before Korra. He was a fire firebender. Or not right before Korra, before Kyoshi. Oh. I think. Or t- before Yang Chen. Yang Chen, that's what I was thinking of. Before Yang Chen, the avatar before the airbender before Aang. He was a fire uh, firebender and he like mastered all the elements like that, but realized that his home nation was like the most like like in trouble at the time. So he like literally devoted himself to becoming like just like a regular politician, just to work in like yeah. in the like confines of government. And the, the Avatar is supposed to be you know with their mastery of the four elements, they're supposed to be this uniting force, mm-hmm. both between spirit world and physical world. Yeah, that, the that's the whole idea of the yeah. There's also the spirit world; they unite the spirits to the human world, and like they can cross between and they can speak to both. But beyond that, like uniting the four nations, like that's kind of the whole like stick of the avatar i think like i think mad pat from like film theory does a great episode of like talking about the avatars they have like four jobs like global peace um uh you know bring, being a bridge between the spirit world uh protecting their home nation just like mastering the element like that and like each avatar like fails at one of those four but like it co- leads to great allegories for like environmental damage leads mm-hmm. to the spirit world isolationism leads to forced imperialism on the other ones and it's just like those four out like four rounds of it. It's just so like great for like allegories of a political class and for a kid show. It's unheard of. Yeah, they also do a really. You talked about the spirit world environmentalism. They do a, a really good episode on that where I want to say it's an Earth Nation town is kind of destroying this forest and this spirit gets pissed and it starts like killing and kidnapping people. Mm-hmm. And like they they harken back to it in season three when they're in the Fire Nation, like oh we got to figure out like why the spirit is mad. It's probably just like the environment thing. Like because don't what you dare reference Painted Lady. I'm not gonna. No, I'm talking about um, Puppet Master. You fool. Okay. One of the best okay. episodes. So you were talking Painted Lady. Well, I mean that is environmental one. Like, yeah, I know, the river. But it's Painted Lady. Sorry. Painted Lady sucks. It's not that bad. It's that bad. For reference, Painted Lady is in season three where they're in the Fire Nation and Katara, Sokka, and basically everyone is completely out of character for no reason. Yeah. They're like, I'm not. They usually help everyone. They're like, I'm not going to help you. I don't have time for that. Yeah. It's just, it's just really it's, dumb. It's stupid. It's but, really dumb. Regardless, that has a great environmental message too, because like this Fire Nation factory polluting the river and it's like, destroying this fishing town. Yeah. They, have, they have nothing to provide themselves for, so they're sick, they're hungry, they have nothing, and that shows like a great environmental message. We can move on to another beautiful allegory: the Dai Li are the CIA. That's true. Like we get, let's talk about like the entirety of Ba Sing Se. Yeah, Ba Sing Se is wild. Ba Sing Se is the capital of the Earth Kingdom, and so after a hundred years of this war. Uh, and all these ref- there's refugees, everything like that, prisoners or everything like that, refugees that end up going to Ba Sing Se because it's the only place not touched by the Fire Nation. There's walls, everything like that. That's class two. They have the classes yeah. of the rings. Too. Yeah, yeah, that's the ring. A lot of the Earth Kingdom cities are built in rings with the lower classes being at the bottom and you progress to become higher class. The, for the, they're like these rings on these hills. Yeah, like they bring in the refugees, they put them all in this like the the, the lowest ring and everything like that. And that's where crime is the highest. Even at and... uh, Serpent's Pass, like the immigration, the border there, and like the, you know, I have to have all these papers in check, and there's all these refugees never, lined up there. There's so many. I don't know what I'm thinking so about. Show, it. Yeah, it's actually crazy. Like for, it, that show is like recommended for like set like it's okay, for kids. It's for kids. It's a it's a kids kid show. show. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just how Clone Wars is, as you put it. Clone but, Wars is beautiful. Clone Wars is the best. It's the best Star Wars iteration. Don't at me. Yeah, Cameron's wrong. Whatever, whatever. Revenge of the Sith. Blah blah blah. Um, and yeah, so Bossing say basically they have these walls and like all the citizens in it. Some of them have been born there. They've been raised there. They don't even know that a war has been going on for a hundred years. Like generally, there is no war within the walls. Is like is constantly spoken in there. 
And they had like this brainwashing cult of like these tour guys are like that teaching that there is no war. Here. Yeah, you're yeah, the war's over. There is no it's just boxing say. And you're not allowed to teach it. Like political like the guy's like, I'm not a political science student, I wouldn't know about that because if like you're like caught talking about it. Yeah, you'll get kidnapped. You'll take them to like it's this resort or whatever, or or like a, a vacation they call it, and they brainwash them. Mm, that's only what we see. That, there, there, there could yeah. be definitely some more severe yeah. aspects of it too. But um, yeah, the, the Dali are the secret police there, like the Gestapo, basically. Basically, and they just go around and make sure everything's there. They're constantly watching our our heroes throughout the show and making sure that they don't talk too much about what they've seen. And uh, yeah, at one point, they become agents of Azula, who's essentially. She's the crown princess of the Fire Nation. The Fire Nation, uh, Zuko's sister, uh, that descended to madness. Though it was, it was, it was long it was, and it was yeah, bought out it was very clearly. Uh, there's a guy with cabbages who you'll never see again. It's <laughs> only in one episode, I think. Uh, like barely. It's like, that was that was a weird joke. That was a weird joke. Um, never but like the Dai Li kind of come into service of Azula and are serving the Fire Nation, kind of behind the back. The Earth King is, a, in all essence, a proxy to the to the. Uh, I'm blanking on her name now. Daily? Yeah, the Daily like runs the city. Oh, but yeah, the yeah. Earth King is a proxy. He's just he doesn't. He's nothing. just a figurehead, and that's what they say. Like the head of the Daily Long Fang in the show is truly in charge of that city. And yeah. he says he is like, oh, you're, you're the Majesty is an icon, but like, okay, he's, he's nothing. I I am in charge here. Whatever I say, does. You even see like a like Zuko at the time. Zuko is away from the Fire Nation. He's kind of, I, I would say he's fully renounced uh, the Fire Nation yet, but he definitely doesn't want to be. He's on his road to redemption. For sure. Yeah, he doesn't want to be part of them. Him and his uncle are, are on the run from the Fire Nation as well as everybody else. And they wind up at Bossing Say and they have to be very careful to hide the fact that they are Fire Nation. Uh, that they're from the Fire Nation. Not even that he's the Crown Prince, but that they're from the Fire Nation. Because, like, I mean, they'll die. They'll kill them. Yeah, war criminals, for sure. They'll be tried as war criminals and at least sentenced to life imprisonment, if not death. Do you yeah. think any of the nations have the death penalty? Or do they all they don't do, or... really depict death in the show, just it being a kid's show. But I'm sure if you were to take a realistic look at it and yeah like ang doesn't kill people <laughs> yes he <does. laughs> he'll throw like eight ton boulders if you like he's dead he died did jet just die i don't know really unclear jet dies. <laughs> yeah, jet, jet dies. yeah yeah so apparently the diet we have a death sentence <laughs> yeah probably they, they they have a license to kill for sure and they are as you said they're definitely an allegory for like secret police and secret like like cia mi6 anything that has like not ruling the world, but is 100% behind the yeah, earth they're and everything. They're, they are the wizard of Oz. There was um, another thing that you brought up I was actually going to talk about, about the Daily. Oh, you know that you know who founded the Daily? I, don't, I learned this recently. Was it Kiyoshi? It was Kiyoshi. That doesn't surprise me that much. She considers that her biggest failure as, yeah, as an avatar. That's fair. There's a, there's a, a canonical game where, at, where Aang gets like, stuck in the spirit world and he talks to her. She's like, my biggest problem was that there was this king that was inc- incredibly unpopular and was like pushing down like all these like peasant like uprisings and like rebellions or that, that like forcefully like killing them in mass and Kyoshi like Stephanie's like I'm their avatar I'm your avatar you need to stop doing that you need to li- listen to them you need to work on it blah 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 like that and he's like in order to keep the peace I will give you the secret elite police force of trained earthbenders which 300 years later when Aang gets there Shocking. are clearly are in, clearly in charge and that's kind of like I guess it's a little bit of a stretch because that probably wasn't the intention but it's kind of like an allegory for like us arming like the Taliban or the, like the Caliphate or anything like that. Just, no, we like arm these. We arm these armies, and then we're we're shocked when they turn out to be like, oh, they're doing something wrong. That was clearly not our intention, not to destabilize or anything. Yeah, we did. If we didn't want to do that, what's an Arab Spring? 
you want to define that or what's going on here? No, we don't need to. We can talk about Arab Spring another day. <laughs> you want to devolve into that right now? We don't, have, we, don't have, we don't have time to do a full blown Arab Spring here. We'll get, we'll get there, I guess. We do like an anniversary episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The, the, um, what I'm really what I'm really curious about too is just I will be curious to see in that animated movie how they depict like building like a multinational kind of thing if it'll be kind of portrayed as the UN or something like that because I'm I know you're very much like an isolationist when it comes to like world governance but I'm definitely a like, globalist when it comes to it like just a hippy dippy man like I just want like just want everybody to get along cool you know? man just want everybody to get along we're all good under underneath the skin uh, my. Uh... I guess we could talk about globalism another day too. We don't want to get too off topic, but mm. very much talking about Avatar. Too. Well, the politics of Avatar, yeah. that's for sure. And yes, I, um, we'll talk. About, I'm not sure if we'll do a whole episode of like the Avatar, like James Cameron Avatar. We probably just like I don't know. Like, that's that's, that's very much just an allegory for killing natives. That is well, that and that's just all environmentalism. Yeah. So that's I think that's handled a lot less gracefully than the show. Like than the it's very straightforward. Yeah, that's it's like, not nuanced at all. Mm-hmm. Don't take over the trees. Don't destroy. The it doesn't. It doesn't do a good enough job at like this. Like they portray the uh, the army, like the human attackers, as just these bloodthirsty monsters, which they're not wrong. But I mean, there's. It's. I don't think it's nuanced enough. Yeah, and I, that's I, coming from an incredibly pro environmental person. The last thing that Airbender is definitely more nuanced when it comes to any message, especially environmental, because um, they talk about the environmental impacts, like especially in Korra, too, like how much it took just to rebuild like these forests and rebuild, like be able to like have like connection with the spirits and everything like that. By the time that Korra opens the spirit gates, the end of season two, like they're like, "What happened to this world? Like you got to yeah. destroy this place." That's yeah. what a hundred years of fire war will do. Oh, we're talking about the UN, and it made me think, like, how would what do you think the White Lotus is? Like, what do you think that's like an allegory for? Because I kind of see them in like the Illuminati. I kind of see them as like they're definitely secret society in the first one, but like come the second one, they're almost like this because they're like holding what's his face in prison. Oh, um, Zahir. Yeah, they're holding they Zahir. Have the red lotus, like yeah, Zahir's the read of the red lotus. Yeah. They're all anarchists. Yeah, but and then there's like the the white lotus, like represents like it's like this order, but like they become more of like this actual force. Almost. You know what? I would probably say I always Free, Freemasons. That's probably yeah. I have them as Freemasons in the first, like in uh. Uh, after the last Airbender, but in Korra, they're almost like I can't have them as like UN peacekeepers. Yeah, that's honestly that's not bad. This... They, they have like uh, outposts all over the world. They yeah. have like the kind of the uniform. That's not a bad thing. But I would definitely put them as Freemasons because you have these leaders, no matter like well, no matter where you're from, and they're always going, a real standing. Yeah, yeah. And, and they all are like no matter like the bridge of knowledge uh, braces like bridges the gap between any one nation and everything like that. Yeah. That's definitely like a, a Mason. No, it's, yeah, they're definitely very Freemason secret society in the. Uh, after the last way, but there. Do you know I have buddies that are in the Masons? Do you know? This, so there's Freemasons in Magonia. Yeah, there are. And I don't I don't know if this is the exact term, but I'm pretty sure it's like Grand Wizard is their leader. I thought that was the KKK. I don't know. I don't know what the leader of the Freemasons is, but the leader of the Waconia chapter of the Freemasons lives on my street. He's been in my garage. Really? He walked in with a fanny pack full of cigars. Cubans, I'm sure. He found, yeah. he found somewhere around Yeah, and I was show. like, and I was like, oh, this guy's chatting. He goes, oh, yeah, I'm the... Fucking whatever the Freemasons does, and everybody just kind of like nodding. I was like, "What the fuck?" You can't just breeze past that. I was like, "I was like, what?" He's <laughs> like, "Yeah," and I was like, "I was like, so yeah, it's basically just like this. It's basically just like an adult frat." Well, I was like, what the fuck's going on? You can't just be. You can't just walk in like, and say, "I'm the leader like, of the Freemasons." You know what? Growing up, like I, I watched National Treasure. I didn't think the Freemasons are fucking real. I yeah, thought they honestly, were the Illuminati. I actually I watched National Treasure last night. That's yeah. there's a lot of historical like stuff in there. 
um, like just general, like obviously it's a historical like based like mystery show and everything, or a mystery like movie and like that. But there's a lot of like actual like true history behind it too. The grandmaster. Okay, yeah, the, the the grand wizard is the KKK. Yeah, he's the grandmaster of the uh, um Freemasons. But apparently, they do like a scholarship. Did anyone in our class get one? I don't no. remember hearing the term Freemason. That's how I never heard about. It. Apparently, they do scholarships and they do a whole bunch of like fundraising. Like they're they're good. Like they do. It's basically just a frat. Like they do fundraising and like for charities and shit. They're almost like a Lions Club. Yeah, um, I know who, uh, my buddy that's in the one. I think it's St. Louis Park. It's either St. Louis Park or Edina, whatever. That's where you, you get into the Freemasons. <laughs> he just applied up line. I think it was just like some weird thing. Like oh, it, it was some like hoops they had to jump through. But basically, there's like a once once a month like general meeting or like that, and they always quote-unquote, vote on where the meeting is going to be had. The Waconia Masonic Lodge. Number 326. There, there's, like, this quote-unquote vote of where they had this meeting. For the last 15 years in a row, every single month has been at famous dates. So, yeah, there's a real vote going on. Some guy's like, I have, a, I have an in right there. We're going to go to famous dates every single week. So, 136. So, if you ever go to a famous day, it's, it's probably being run by the like by the free Freemasons. It's right by St. Joe's. So it's, it's just, just like, a house. It's just, it's just a random house. Like, all right, my brother's going to... Is there, like, a hand sign or something like that? Like, there, It's this white house here, like, right behind St. Joe's. Like, there's the, the church. It's just this house, I think. Huh. <laughs> That's so strange. I should be a Freemason. Can I apply? I think you have to be, like, 25 or something like that. And I don't know. It's, there's some weird requirements I remember him telling me about. But that is a good comparison to, I think, the White Lotus. If we're yeah. bringing back to Avatar, but... Because they generally, like, they don't care about nationality. They don't care about knowledge. They just literally are for, like, knowledge for knowledge. Sake. Yeah, and it's composed of these benders from these super, super powerful benders and non-benders even from these other, these masters, basically, from all the nations. Do you think John John or Iroh is stronger? Iroh. You think so? Yeah, yeah. John John can fly, Iroh, and he made those, like, those columns. Iroh of... is the dragon of the West. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, we could. We could I, only, maybe in raw so are, power, John John has it, but Iro. But it, yeah, knowledge, of course. You know that? Also, I don't know if, like, how deep you've watched. Plus, Iro. Yeah, that's true. About that time. About that time. Iro. You know that Iro like lives forever in the spirit world too. Yeah. He didn't die. He just like goes there, just like chills with this. Yeah, he's in Korra, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Iro's yeah. a goat. And like at one point, like Zuko's like, "You talk to my uncle," and he's like, "She's like, yeah, man, he's just chilling. She's vibing. She's just vibing in the spirit world. She's vibing in the spirit world." Uh, I that was my biggest gripe with Korra is they changed the whole spirit world, spirit lore a lot, which is like I don't. It was just and it, stylistically, it was so much different in the spirit world and stuff that it just threw me off. Which is like it's fine, like because it still does. It does, I just I don't know. It was just very like different to me. That was my only gripe with Korra. That's fair. I think uh, there's a lot of backlash with the ending of the show. I think that's a little I, weird. I didn't finish it. I I like how they they handle like um, I put like on the word, but like oh trauma. I'm like I'm like yeah. his core is like completely traumatized by like being poisoned by Zaheer, and she's like confined a wheelchair for a few years, and just being an avatar stuck in. A she almost for years. kills herself in the first uh, because she, the antagonist in the first um, spoilers by the way. Uh, yeah, we'll put a tag at the beginning. Of the antagonist story. in the. Uh, in the first series can like take away bending and takes away course bending. And, you know, as the avatar, if you can't bend, she just decides she's going to kill herself to reincarnate a new avatar. Who's going to be able to help. And as she's about to do so spirit Aang comes back and, you know, saves her. And it's this whole I, idea of like, somebody I got you, say, man. You're about to, you know, you're about, she's about to kill herself. She's about to jump off a cliff and kill herself. And Aang swoops in and saves her. The whole idea of reincarnation in that show is just handled so beautifully. It too. Is. It's just like, 
all of these, like, they're all here for you. They're all, like, ready to go. It's just, like, generally, like, their knowledge is yours. You are them. And it's just, like, a very spiritual. Obviously, it's a very spiritual show in general. Yeah. But it's just, I think it handles philosophy so much better than most, especially, like, young adults. And, like, like the that. whole idea of, like, the Avatar state is you harnessing all of the knowledge. Because you can speak to past avatars. Mm-hmm. And it's you harnessing the knowledge and the power of all these past avatars. You know, it's kind of like this. It's almost like an allegory for fucking learning. Like, you know, like, we teach our kids what we know, which has been taught to us by our parents, like. Yeah, it's just a faster version of, like, yeah. talking, like, the centuries before you, too. Yeah. There's, I remember that I saw this one, it was just, like, when Aang decides not to kill Ozai at the end, it's just, like, Kyoshi's like, no, man, what, what are you doing? Yeah. Kyoshi's just bloodthirsty the entire Kyoshi's time. Like, fucking kill him! <laughs> We're, we'll do every, I, ugh. But yeah, it's cool, like, I even think of the way that he talks to, like, Kyoshi and, um. Sozin. Is it Sozin? No, it's not Sozin. Roku. Roku. As, um... Noob. I'm sorry. I mixed those two up. I mean, they they did like, fight. They're best friends. Roku was 6'8", so... So was Kyoji. was also, like, 6'7". Yeah, she had, like, size, like, 14 shoes. Like John. She was playing... Roku was playing for the wrong team. <laughs> That's maybe. what I'm saying. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but this idea, it's like, you know, talking to your grandparents, your father, because, like, yeah, I had a similar dilemma to this. This is how I saw it. They're like, you know, the, the go to your parents, go to your elders, kind of, that they can help you with those life journeys, because they've experienced something similar. I think the concept that they explore the best in the finale too is like the idea of life. Like they they have the, like this big philosophy, like philosophical debate about okay, should we kill the Fire Lord and like that's like like is that how we're gonna end this war? Like that is it morally justified to do so? And like Ang like basically just like uh, spirals into his own head, even though as you say he has killed before. Like yeah, but allegedly he's never killed. Allegedly before. he's never killed. And he's just having this like he's like I, we, we that's it. I'm a killer man. he's a fireman he can't swim and um he just talks about he's like the monks were raised like every every life is sacred even it's it's very much the buddhist philosophy Mm -hmm. it's it's very much tied to like just dharma and life being sacred as a whole and i think it's just tackled beautifully because they eventually decide like the whole the whole world is saying do this one thing and Ang stands by his morals. Yeah, like, it's beautiful. I, I will, it's like, beautiful. I will find this one way that apparently this random old lion turtle is going to be like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. But guess what? He found a way to do it. And yeah. I, I saw this theory once. It's like he actually was like calling out to himself like while he was sleeping. He was like, because like obviously the lion turtles and the avatar are connected. The lion turtle created the avatar. Yeah, he so created they, bending. So they're still so they're still connected like that. He was like calling out to him like I need some kind of solution like that. And they're like. I got you. See, that's what I I think Korra does a great because there's a few episodes in Korra that like depicts the um the conception story of the Avatar. Yeah, Avatar One. Yeah, and, literally uh, his name is Juan. Yeah, and so like that makes the Lion Turtle episode make so much more sense because mm-hmm. because I was a lot of complaints about it. It's like yeah, this feels like kind of out of nowhere. This Lion Turtle just shows up. It's never been really discussed or heard of before, but knowing the origin story and that the way that they share that connection and that bond is it definitely adds connection it, yeah. yeah it adds context to it in the best way a prequel like prequel episode could for yeah. sure um yeah uh, is there it's just yeah there's a lot of philosophical topics in that show i think that are like expertly crafted and expertly like handled um we talked about environmentalism we talked about imperialism everything like that life there's there's one other one it was just about like healing and hope in general that's like katara's whole thing it's yeah. just like this like mature uh, maternal figure she's only 16 but she's a obviously very emotionally mature but very emotionally ready to go and it was just like this whole concept of like forgiveness like when she like she doesn't forgive the guy but she actually does the harder thing of letting it go yeah like, 
She I doesn't mean, kill him. She doesn't kill the guy who kills her own mother, like, literally in cold blood. Another yeah. war crime, by the way. Yeah. Oh, just take me to prisoner. Sorry, I'm not taking prisoners today. Yeah. You're dead. Yeah, and she has the opportunity to kill him. She basically hunts this guy down and has, you know, Aang's like, don't do it. But she has people that are supportive of her, like, you can do this. And Let- she gets him, and she has him, like, literally could snap her fingers and he's dead. And she lets him go. Mm-hmm. And she says, she's like, I, like... Uh, Aang's line in that episode is one of the one of the most like satisfying. It's like it's hard to forget. Like it's easy to do nothing, but it's the hardest thing in the world to do is forgive. And especially in a trauma situation like that, that's just incredible television. Yeah. And I think like I like to talk about um, strong female leads, and like I think Katara's is the perfect example of like you don't a strong female lead doesn't need to be a woman being this. Like I think of Brianna Tar from Game of Thrones. She's this the incredible Mid-show, warrior. Mid-show, but whatever. She's this incredible warrior. And she's obviously an amazing feminine figure in that sense. But you also have Katara, mm. who's this... She's a young girl, 14, 15 years old, who has just these maternal instincts and this, like, loving and forgiveness. And it's a, it's just a beautiful character. It's, like, the perfect, like, essence of, like, a strong feminine character. We'll definitely do a Game of Thrones episode, but I'll leave with this teaser. I think Cersei is the ultimate girl boss. <laughs> <laughs> take that off. Take, take that right there. I take, had take that to the behavior okay, right we'll, now. We'll talk about this more. I had a girl in my geology class who seriously said her favorite character was Ramsey Bolton and said he was hot. <laughs> that's the only reason why he's Ramsey, like, favorite. She character. loved Ramsey Bolton. Ugh, that's, that's gross. It's a weird. It's a weird opinion. It's yeah, a, Ramsey yeah. Bolton who. Raped a fourteen-year-old, uh, murdered people with his dogs, cut off a guy's dick, torturing him. But he's hot, I guess. Uh, but he's not hot. He's not hot. <laughs> so I think everyone's favorite character in that show is um, fuck, I'm blanking on his name. Um, what is his name? The kid. The kid. Arya. Aya. No, no, no. The the uh, the the irritating one, like the one that everyone hates, Joffrey. Oh yeah, Joffrey. Joffrey. Yeah. yeah, that's what I was thinking of. Yeah, I know my my roommate Shashar is just a huge like he's just a huge Game of Thrones fan, and, and he just talked about he's like I've never hated a character more. Hated a kid more than I hated Joffrey. Yeah, All right, we're getting a little off track here. But yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll bring we'll, back. We'll, we'll wrap it up. Here. Uh, so I assume we're just yeah. I think the best the best concepts in Avatar are the philosophical and moral debates that they've posed because. It's never really talked about, but, like, um, there's this one expert, like, tactical episode, like, where they basically find out that the solar eclipse is going to render, like, all firebenders, like, powerless, and they're like, okay, let's do, let's do an invasion here. It doesn't, it doesn't pose a question if invasion is morally right, because, like, obviously the fire nation invaded first, but it's also, like, the question of, like, okay, so they're going to be completely useless to, like, help each other, all the firebenders surrender, you think that they're going to, like, treat them fairly, like, yeah. I don't think that, I, don't, I think that show does a really good job, there's no black and white here. I, and I think they do a great job talking about every problem they run into that's somewhat like a moral problem or a philosophical problem. There's it's, it's even like a gray ending. Like you're right. Like we think about jet, like the first episode with jet. Well, jet and his rebels hate the fire nation for murdering their parents and whatnot and invading their homes. And to do that, to fight the fire nation, they're going to destroy their factory by blowing up this dam, but that dam's also going to kill a bunch of innocent people. And Aang is, is like, I want to help you fight the Fire Nation, but, like, I can't condone that kind of thing. And Jet's a very much, uh, is it Kantian or whatever whatever argument it is, it's very much, like, uh, sacrificing the few to save the many kind of argument. Yeah, and so he, he's ready. And so it's this, you know, this moral debate of, like, 
like, well, like, is that okay? And then, like, you know, they fight. But, like, mo- almost, like, all these problems, like, so many of, like, the issues is, like, it's not a morally black, it's not a black and white thing. No, that's the There's best so rarely a wholly evil character or a wholly good character. Because mm-hmm. even, even, even Azula, the most, like, probably the most textbook definition of what a villain, villainess yeah. would be. Other than Ozai. Besides Ozai. But, like, Azula's potentially, everyone would be like, oh, oh, she's, like, evil. But she also has, like, the mental illness side of it too. Yeah, like, she's she, a, she can't be blamed like hundred percent for her own actions because she was raised her this way. Father she, has destroyed her. Exactly. She's literally like, every negative impact she's ever had. Her mother didn't love her the same way she loved her brother, and everything yeah. like that. It's just all of this builds to the point of, like where she just cracks and she just loses her mind. But like, so if you want to like totally make the slowly argue, and over the course of if you want to make the argument that it wasn't like really her fault, you can definitely make that yeah. argument. There's evidence to support that. Well, at, like, at what point are we the, like the products of our upbringing, or what point are we responsible for our action? I think that's really cool with Azula. Yeah, they do do a good job of like exploring that. I wish they would have dived a little bit more into Ozai because he's probably the most evil character in the show. Like, but, oh, by far. But the, there is even that like one degree of gray too. Like, he was raised this way. Like, he he was yeah. born into a war. He he's knows a what he's product doing. of his you know Sosan raised in that way. And Azulon. Azulon, yeah. Yeah, and the one of. The, I don't know if you ever caught this too in Zuko alone. They literally tell like like Ozai, yeah, go kill your son because you you told you said that your brother was weak for losing his. So I'm gonna teach you what yours is like. He's gonna he's gonna do it. Yeah. He's like, okay, I'm gonna kill my son because like generally yeah. the, he, he only wants power. He burns his son and banish. He burns his son. He challenges son to an Agni Kai, which is a duel, because Zuko spoke out that they were gonna do something that was gonna cause them to lose a whole bunch of men. And Zuko's like, why why would we do that? Like these are humans. They have family. And he gets punished by his father for speaking out like that in, in Agni Kai, in Fire Nation tradition. Basically, they have to duel. And Zuko says, no, I won't fight you. You're my father. And so his father burns and banishes him. Another another example of that, too, of, like, the villains being showed, shows of, uh, Shades of Grey, too, is Zhao. Yeah. Zhao's whole character in the first in the first season, he, like, this he's text, so hateable. He's this textbook bad guy. And then you get to his motivation in the finale. His whole thing is he just wants to have his name in history. That's what he wants to be remembered for, and he will do anything that like, he can to do that. So he's like, "I'm going to beat the water nation. I'm going to beat the water tribes by like I'll be known as Zhao, Zhao the Moon Slayer. He's going to kill the Moon Spirit, and it's just like that's going to do that as soon like. And he will like he literally he's like forced like whatever you do that fish, I'll do you tenfold for higher. And he puts the fish back and then he kills it. And then as soon as that happens, he realizes he screwed up, and he can see it in his eyes. He runs away. He's like. And he's offered a hand to be saved. He's like, I'd rather be go down in history as someone that did this than be saved and put in like prison to like just be like like forgotten. So like even your most like stereotypical bad guy in season one has those in Shades of Grey. Yeah. And if we're gonna talk about Shades of Grey, Zuko. <laughs> like yeah, Zuko is Zuko's the textbook definition of it. I mean, he never I don't think Zuko is portrayed as this main antagonist to start out, but he's never wholly evil. He just want he because he thinks that by capturing the Avatar, his father will take him back and love him and allow him back into the, the Fire Nation. Is that's his whole motivation is he just wants Aang for his father's approval and he slowly learns like as Iroh becomes that father figure to him that he doesn't need his father's approval he should be true to who he is the only one that can give you your honor back is yourself like the yeah. only one that can view you as an honorable or dishonorable person is yourself because it, it doesn't come from anyone it doesn't come from your actions or it comes from your actions doesn't come from approval of someone else yeah. of those actions so, like Avatar for being a kid show has just so many layers and such so many beautiful messages in it that I, I don't think you'll understand as a kid, but the more you think about it, it's such, such a beautiful show. I love it so much. Same. And I really hope that there's a Netflix adaptation coming out live action and the cast looks stacked. The cast, the cast, looks, cast looks, looks really good. The production looks good. Like unlike the terrible M night movies, Brian Canetso and 
Aaron Finansov. I, I don't know the other one off the top of my head, but the two co-creators of the show are actually involved in the production and like yeah. production of it very, very heavily before they stepped away, like towards the end of it or whatever like that, but because they were just busy making this new Avatar show. But that should, I really hope it's good. The cast is good. And it sounds like a lot of people in the cast actually have seen the show and are fans of the show. Mm-hmm. So that always helps. And yeah, just some of those, ca- like the main, main actor for Aang, like he's just like this, he, I think he's like this world renowned martial artist. Like yeah. he's done, he's won like, like national championships, like three, four times and he's only like 12. So it's actually crazy. Like he actually did like, he actually is like experienced that. I really hope that translates over to the screen. And then, yeah, they have that movie coming up in a couple of years. And then, the new show. yeah. Um, any other topics you'd like to cover about this or I, that's all I got. We did. Yeah, I think we covered it pretty good. And obviously, if there was any more, we can talk about it more too. But no, fun episode. Just talking about our one of our favorite shows of all time. And if you, if anyone did not know, by the whole t- this whole time we're referencing this, the YouTube channel over at Analyzing Avatar, hundred percent recommend them. Yep. That guy is very, very, very well video done, and he's he's, a, he's entertaining. He's very funny. Yeah. yeah. And he does, he just he dives so much deeper in every episode, what they mean, and everything like that, and he does some very beautiful analysis. Yeah. Can we talk about the fact that we just did this whole thing for an hour? We didn't talk about the Tales of Bossing Say once. I didn't need to cry, Cameron. Okay. <laughs> Tales of Bossing Say is Iroh talking about his son and his son's birthday, and it is just heartbreaking. Yeah, that's that's what we need to leave right yep. there. Yeah. But yeah, um, yeah, this has been episode seven of TLGR, our first video episode. I hope you guys enjoyed. Um, I don't know how much we'll do this. Obviously, if we're just together, we made it easy. But um, next week we'll figure out something to do. I mean, we always plan this like the day before. Yeah, so. this is a Sunday night kind of. Mm-hmm. But um, this has been been, uh, Two Lefties Get It Right. Thank you for watching, and uh, we will see you next time.